Hey, this is Brent Johnson. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. Brought to you by Pariah Pickups, handcrafting awesome guitar pickups all the way from Detroit City. Check them out at pariahpickups.com. I also wanted to give a shout out to Mr. Alex Heward of the Release Day music documentary series now available in podcast form. I highly recommend the Release Day series. It's awesome. And you can have a look at Alex's work at releasedayseries.com. Check it out. All right, today's guest is not just one of Canada's most sought-after guitarists. He is the most sought-after guitarist in Canada, and he is everywhere. He plays with Carol Pope, Coney Hatch, Lee Aaron, Nelly Furtado, Dale Martindale, and so many others. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sean Kelly. Sean Kelly, this is a long time coming, man. We've been trying to get you on the show for literally years. So I'm, <laughs> I'm stoked that you're finally here. Thanks for taking the time for me today, man. I appreciate it. Oh, Brent, thanks so much. I, uh, I've i been looking forward to doing this, and I'm glad that the stars have aligned and we're able to able to connect. Yeah, definitely. So, Sean, now you're based in Toronto now, but you grew up yes. in, in northern Ontario, as I did. I did, yes, yeah. in North Bay. North Bay. And so you and I listened to much of the same music growing up, probably about the same time. And uh, we both ended up writing books about that music. Your book right. called Metal on Ice. Here's the cool thing about your book. It was actually accompanied by a soundtrack of your making featuring That's right. a lot of the artists you talked about in the book. So tell me a little bit about how that came together. Well, um, that came about because at the time that I was writing the book, I was also working with uh, the folks up at uh, Coalition Music, Mm -hmm. which is a a music management company and record label that manages bands like Our Lady Peace, Simple Plan, Finger Eleven, amongst others. And um, I was working at, um, they had started a a music incubator up there, a not-for-profit called Canada's Music Incubator. Mm -hmm. And I was working on an artist development program there called Artist Entrepreneur. Anyway, throughout that, um, the two founders of Coalition Music are Rob Lanny, brother of Arnold Lanny, and Eric Lawrence. Mm -hmm. And they are uh, fans of the same era of music, growing up as Canadian music fans. And I was just happened to mention, you know, I was writing a book and the book was coming out through a publisher. They said, wow, be cool to do like a record or something. And, And they kind of brought up this idea of of maybe doing a record of re-recorded classic canadian rock hits and it, it's it sounded like a great idea and uh that actually dovetailed into getting the artists together and we actually recorded a brand new song that i wrote with um nick walsh from mm-hmm. slick toxic and famous underground and moxie sings with moxie now and uh we put on a live show to go with it too which was a wonderful experience as part of canadian music week we uh put on a live show and yeah it just turned into this whole experience we actually did uh, did something we brought fans in into the studio we had a whole meet and greet day it was mm-hmm. a very very cool project it was a uh, it was pretty intense it was a labor of love but yeah that's how that all came about and then the metal of nice ep came out uh through coalition records and warner music canada and it was a, it was a gas that's so cool i i think that's so cool that you did that uh, you know what? It was it was an honor for me and and a, and a dream come true in so many ways, and and it led to some absolutely incredible relationships. And I mean, I get to play with Coney Hatch and Lee Aaron now, well, which is kind of amazing to me, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's 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 wild. So 
So I was listening to Coney Hatch the other day, and I was thinking about our upcoming chat here. And I thought about how special what you do really is in that regard. Like I listened to those old songs by Coney Hatch and Alice Cooper, Iron Maiden, and they elicit these special feelings because they're emblematic of my younger life. Mm-hmm. And listening to that music helps me stay close to those years in my mind. But you, Sean Kelly, <laughs> you actually play those songs on guitar alongside those same artists. So like you, you lived your dream. You bridge the gap between artist and fan. Well, you know, yeah, I, I have, and I'm very fortunate for that. And it's an interesting thing. And it was actually Dee Snyder is mm. the person who made me aware of something. I actually had an opportunity to work with D in a <laughs> D Snyder's rock and roll Christmas tale. He had a musical that he brought to Toronto with a production company here called Starbox. Right. I had an opportunity to audition for what I thought was a guitar playing role, but ended up being an acting, dancing, singing, and guitar playing role mm. in this musical. But the cool thing was, as I met D, and I mean, D is the reason, he is the number one reason I play guitar because he wrote We're Not Gonna Take It. It was the first melody I ever learned on guitar and the first song where really the hook got set. But having said that, uh, I gave D a copy of Metal on Ice. I said, hey, man check this out. You know, we're talking about music and he read it. He goes, Hey man, isn't it weird the way your life has worked out? It's almost <laughs> like you subconsciously <laughs> sought out these opportunities that affect you as a kid. It's true. And, and it was like, yeah, I guess I did, but it wasn't part of a conscious plan. It wasn't like when I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to play with these exact people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wanted to do my own thing and I did do that, but you know, I guess subconsciously I was, I was seeking that out maybe, but really it was just through serendipity and circumstance and, and a passion for that type of music that transcended. I think it did transcend nostalgia. It's like, okay, there's more to this. I'm actually writing my second book right now where I'm deep diving into what is the musical hook here? What is the musical essence that keeps me coming back to this era of music? Mm Mm-hmm where I didn't listen to the music people my own age listen to with the same passion. I always stayed connected to this music and the music that came before at the roots of it. So it's an interesting deep dive. But yeah, I uh, I, I am very fortunate, and, and it's never, never lost on me when I can stand beside Lee Aaron and I hear her vocals coming through the monitor, or Carl Dixon and Andy Curran and Dave Ketchum and or all those all those people Helix you know yeah I got a chance to play with Harlequin once like I mean oh nice you know Rough Trade I get to play with you know Alan Frew from Glass Tiger Carol Pope like all these these people when you hear that it's not to associate I don't think the thrill of it all is being associated with their past fame or their past work it's that they're making that sound and I'm doing it with them in that moment Mm mm-hmm yeah. Is the thing that still makes me spellbound. You've achieved, no matter how you cut it, you've achieved something very special in doing that. And I, I've always admired that about you. So, Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Now, projects. We had Andy on last week and, you know, the new Coney Hatch live record is out, which you played on. So, yes. Now, would you be doing any promotion of that alongside Andy and Carl? Well, you know, I, I, other than the way we all do things where we, we share things on social media, or, you know, I, I would do anything those guys asked me to do gladly. But really, it's uh, because of the nature of this release, which is uh, authorized bootleg, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's it's brilliant. When Andy told me about it, I was like, this is the coolest thing. Where it's like, I mean, each of those albums is right out of the Kodiak sweatshop, as Andy would say. Yeah. You know, hand-stamped, hand-signed. <laughs> bootleg as bootleg can be. And, like, it's so cool. Like, even right down to the pe- – like, you know, Doug McClement recording and Vic Florencia mixing it. Like, it's such a cool thing. So it's not really about – you know, let's get out there and work the promo machine. I and I don't want to speak for for those guys, but but I think it's more about hey, those who know know where to get it, mm-hmm. and they're getting it, and then they're talking about it like you would if you got a bootleg. Like it's so cool, and that's what I see. I go onto social media, and you know the classic rock community. We're all connected, right? Like this whole thing of audience and band. Like really, it's just a community of of creators and appreciators, right? Getting mm-hmm. together, and I see that, and it's so fulfilling to see the reaction to it and the connection. You know, Andy's got such a great aesthetic with this stuff. It's 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 really neat that he kind of conceived of this idea. And, yeah. And um, anyway, so promo, yeah, we're just spreading the word word of mouth, man. If, if there was a record store to go to on a Saturday afternoon, I'd go down there and talk about it. But, you know, we're, we're on the record store social media, I guess. Now, you know, to your point, it's great to see that it's still very much alive. Like a lot of people are very excited. I don't think that's going away. I, I think that's great. I don't think it's going away. And I think it's going to come back stronger. And I think our appreciation of this has only fortified over the last year, right? So mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited for what's coming for what it's going to bring to to the sense of community, I think that it's going to be very celebratory, very emotional, and uh, I'm 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 so excited about it, and and I'm so lucky that in the midst of COVID, I was able to record a live album at one of the most famous <laughs> clubs in the world. Right. Like my life, I, I'm a blessed man, and I'm holding on vinyl. <laughs> I saw an interview with Dave Grohl the other day, and he had an Elma Combo T-shirt on. Believe it like, or not. Like I mean, there you go. Isn't that cool? There, there's rock and roll's greatest ambassador right there. That's right. So, Coney Live Record, new Learn record for you. Yeah, and I, I have to tell you, I'm stoked about this new Learn record. We we wrote that together as a band. Lee had this idea. Hey, you know what? What if we, we we've done a couple of studio records. We had the live in Germany CD and DVD come out. He said, "What about for the next record? Why don't we get together for a weekend, garage band style? Everyone bring their best ideas. Let's throw it in the pot and see what we come up with. We'll write it as a band." Wow. And I was like, okay. And, you know, like, honestly, you figure, yeah, we'll get a couple of good ones out of there, and then we'll keep working on it. We walked out of there with 12 tunes. Oh, wow. Like, like she still takes them and refines them and, and puts uh, rewrites certain lyrics or, you know, puts makes some makes the top line a Lee Aaron record, really, by making it hers. She has to work on that. But the ideas and the forms and the riffs and the vast majority of it came out of that session. And we were like, this is good. It's not just hacking away, jamming. It's it's good stuff. Part of that is, I mean, everybody in that band is a songwriter and really a producer. But, you know, having said that, this is a Lee Aaron record. She produces these records. You know, she's she captains the ship for sure. Uh, but, you know, we all have those uh, those skills and that skill set, right? So we bring it in and we know how a, a song goes and we, we're, we're pretty honest with each other with each other too but we've kind of collectively over the years because i've been playing with that band for seven years now yeah it's been a while and dave and john and lee have been together playing as a unit for i think it was like eight years previous to that so there's a sound that happens and it's not about emulating metal queen or body rock it's just this organic 
current thing that happens. So we know we're starting to feel, I think we're starting to know what the sound of the band is just uh, internally, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So all that to say, the songs came together. We felt really strongly about them. We went to, and of course, we actually started recording the bed tracks for this album just as COVID happened. Uh, so I'm in Vancouver while this is going down. Oh. And we're just like, what we don't remember the week in March where things were changing by the hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're trying to cut bed tracks. You're looking at your phone and I'm going, am I going to get home to my family? What's going on? Are they shutting down travel? Like, what's happening here, right? But we managed to get all of the bed tracks recorded in a few days at uh, Afterlife Studios, which is actually the old Mushroom Studios where, like, you know, okay. all those classic records, the heart records and stuff were made. We got that vibe. And then we came home. We all beefed up our home recording studios. We were able to finish the record. And then Mike Fraser. Oh, cool. Uh, fam- yeah, mixed the record. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, and Lee and, and Dave and John were able to go in in Vancouver and work with Mike. And all of that to say, July 23rd, Radio On by Lee Aaron comes out. It's uh, the best record we've done. I think it's the best record of her career. Wow. And, I'm a, and listen, I'm a big fan of of body yeah. rock and but i think she's stepped up she's singing better than ever and i think she uh she really showed why she's such a pioneer she captained the ship to uh, a wonderful place let's put it that way i'm wow. really proud of the record i'm proud to be a part of it and proud to be a part of that band good for you man i look forward to hearing that that's great very yeah, cool man. so july 23rd you say yeah july 23rd radio on learen all right, man. So listen, you have got uh, a nice little list of songs here, and I like what you've done with your songs. You've taken the skin vibration thing very literally with this list, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. And uh, you know, I actually went. I, if I if I thought about it too much, I'd be it'd be like salmon fever, right? <laughs> like a, I, I'd be like drowning in choice and, and, and completely paralyzed. So I just went for right what came right off the top of my head. Perfect. That, that's yeah. that's exactly what you should do. If you put too much thought into it, it just you, it'll drive you crazy. Exactly. So your first tune off the top of your head was Kim Mitchell, "Kids in Action." Yeah, man. This is uh, I think this is for solo record in '82, right? That's right. So what is it about this that makes your skin vibrate? I think it's the greatest Canadian rock song ever written. Wow. I used to say this, and I really believe it. Kim Mitchell brought art music to Northern Ontario. Mm-hmm. He brought it to the arenas of Northern Ontario and the radio stations. He was doing that in Max too, right? With Max Webster. Yeah, definitely. There's something about that band where they were able to bring these really advanced musical concepts and advanced lyrical concepts, but make it work in a bar, like in, a, in make it work in a Colson or a Wilders in North Bay or whatever, whatever yeah. the, whatever the, um, comparison would be wherever they were able to connect with that rock and roll bar audience with that with those kids like we would go to the arena and i didn't realize it at the time but you know a kimbo logo comes out and i go to the north bay memorial gardens i go to watch a concert i don't realize what i'm actually getting is this frank zappa-esque john coltrane type guitar lines advanced harmony polyrhythm all this beautiful music because it's wrapped up in this rock and roll package that still kicks you in the ass. So I'm still getting all the adrenal benefit of rock and roll, but with this advanced vocabulary. Yeah. And to me, what Kids in Action does is it takes that, it takes the power 
there's still the power riff there's still the big anthemic chorus but man it starts off with this modal guitar thing and these rumbling drums then kind of settles into this lurching type of groove and then all of a sudden you start getting these lyrics and listen Pai Dubois is one guy I never want to meet. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> Pai Dubois is one of my favorite lyricists of all time. Mm-hmm. I never want to know what he's actually meaning because <laughs> to me, it's so beautifully abstract. But I feel the way I connect with it, I would be crushed if I was wrong. <laughs> and yeah. I might be wrong. That's a good I, point. Might be, I might be wrong. But man, this song to me... Like the, the sense of community and the way he describes community and belonging and camaraderie, that thing that happens in rock and roll. You know, I even even think back to like like Rockland, mm-hmm. Wonderland, yeah. close companions in the concert bowl. We we live this we open our hearts, we live the song. I'm going, holy shit. Like that's that's what it is to me. Yes. That's what that's why I do this for sure. And Kids in Action amplifies that idea to me, you know? Yeah. Like it, like that idea of uh, doesn't matter how you feel or how high you feel you have to get to get by on like all that wordplay where you're tripping over the words but it's leading you to this thing about kids if it's a sin and good time living then I guess we're gonna be uh, the you know the best bonfire in hell that's amazing <laughs> what a line yes that's incredible yeah be, and and you know listen so much of how I relate to music is because I grew up Catholic oh really there is no oh a hundred percent so this idea, like we want modern thrills, we want rock and roll that kills, like it's it's a threat, right? Like this is a threat to my soul. So I'm putting my soul online because there's something that's pulling this, pulling me towards this. Something's being pulled out of me by this music that uh, feels like a religious experience, right? The communal thing. Wow. Who who are we gonna get high over if we can't get high together? Like holy crap! Like. So Kim wraps this all up, and then there's like, you know, we're going to have no more problems with security. We're young, tough, and together. I, I don't know if they're talking, like, with Pi, he maybe he is talking about being in a bar. We're going to, like, you know, <laughs> don't worry, those guys aren't going to kick us out of the gas works, you know, with our quarts of beer. You know, maybe it's literal, maybe it's not. And I love that I don't know, but I've connected with the lyric the way I did. And then all that with this big anthemic chorus and the guitar playing is so transcendent. He does this thing where he's playing in the solo and he hits this kind of whole tone scale line in the middle of it mm-hmm. where the whole key area shifts for a second. And it's that feeling where you're on the top of a roller coaster and you're about to go down ah. and you just lost in it. And it, and then it resolves. There's this barrage of picking, which is so beautifully articulated. It's the same thing when I, I get when I listen to the Cult of Personality solo by Vernon Reed, yes. where it's just this beautiful barrage of notes that aren't following like any kind of traditional lick thing. It's just this intensity that ultimately resolves that beautiful chorus and the anthem. And I don't know if you know this about this song, but it was a contender to be on David Lee Ross' Eat Him and Smile. Yeah. When, when Kim was on the show, he talked about that. Billy Sheehan called him from the studio. That's stunning. Because when I think about that, there is only one other walking art installation that could have pulled it off and it's david lee roth yeah (laughs) you know what i'm saying like that guy is abstract art like just the way he is like he he's the only guy i think who could have really pulled off because there's nothing american about this song and here's america's at the time number one front man putting this record out we played with mr big a few years ago in sweden with lee aaron 
<laughs> and of course, I beeline for Billy Sheehan. Poor guy's probably trying to have a beer, right? <laughs> Hey man, can you just get you a copy of that kid's action demo? He's like, oh, I don't know. I think we did somewhere. He wasn't sure, right? Yeah. But uh, anyway, that's that's why I I love that song, and I think it's an important piece of music. I love the enthusiasm you used to describe it. <laughs> well, it's genuine, man. And I've seen Kim. I've had the opportunity. Coney, we played with him a few years ago, and I was watching him on stage. You know, that's the real deal. Like, I've seen him. Eddie Van Halen's my favorite guitar player. There's only one guy I've seen get over on Eddie. It was Kim Mitchell at Barry in Molson Park in 93. Really? And Steve Stevens on that bill, too. And he gave, it was fair effort, Steve. But, wow. man, when Steve Stevens number three on the bill, you know, you've had a... <laughs> You've seen some great guitar playing, and Kim, Kim took it all. Yeah, he's he, he's the man. I've always loved that about Kim, is that he's not just a kind of a blues box player, right? He plays some very intricate lines. He's, he's just underestimated as a guitar player. He is. And you know what's funny? I don't know this, but I don't feel like he's, like, even though these are uh, some of the vocabulary you'd associate with jazz, I don't think he's coming at it from jazz. Mm. I get the feeling he's coming at it from rock. I would love to ask him. I've never had a chance to sit down and, and pick his brain, but I, I'd love to because, you know, it feels like rock and roll to me, but he must be listening to Holdsworth and stuff like that. Like he must, you know, or Jean-Luc Ponty or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I don't know. Where do you get that vocabulary? And and I, I never try and figure out any of his stuff because, number one, I couldn't. And number two, I don't want to know. I don't want to look behind the curtain. Like, I just revel in the beauty of of what he does so much why why do i need to try and do a version of it <laughs> urge overkill is next yeah sister havana the reason i picked that one is because i think of the time and place when did it come out like 93 yeah or 94 and 93 okay 93. so you know what's happened in 93 everything i thought was cool wasn't cool <laughs> um i'm not cool i have to wear this fucking polyester shirt now to get a gig yeah I'm lost and I'm in my twenties, right? Like, I mean, I was like, Oh man. And, and that wasn't a bad thing. I'm, I'm, I'm making it seem like a dramatic thing, but it was good because it kind of forced me to think differently. And there was a lot of great music that came in the nineties, right? Like clearly there was good music that was happening. But when I heard urge overkill, it felt like, Oh man, it feels like kiss or feels anthemic, right? Yeah. Everything about that song is so perfect. It's so dry but the dynamics, there's this terrorist dynamic thing that happens with that song where it's continuously building. There's not one part that's out of place. Even just the elements they used, electric sitar for the breakdown, right? There's, uh, you know, the solo is just this, this simple melody. But with the and there he's barely making the bends. Like this is this is no virtuoso here, right? Whoever's playing that. <laughs> look at you know, he's putting he's giving it everything he got. That was probably take fifty or something, man. But he got he got in there and he got it with the phaser on it. But the band's collective feel is raw. It feels a little punk. Just the hooks, there's a cowbell in the groove. And I have a funny story about that band. I remember going to see them play. And it was like this bizarro show. I think Guided by Voices was playing too. Oh wow! And it was at the it was it was on their second record on the Exit the Dragon record. Uh, first of all, as I'm I was going out for a cigarette or something, the singer from Guided by Voices come flying through me, and he's fist fighting with like all these bouncers. I'm going, what the hell? Oh, that's wow. Bob Pollard. Yeah. So that was kind of weird. And then as they're crisscrossing by me by the door, they're not letting Blackie Onassis, the drummer, back in to the club. Mm. 
I guess he didn't have his pass or whatever. Maybe he went outside for something and he couldn't get into the club. And I just remember, wow, that's weird. Like you hear about this all the time, about the guy who forgot his backstage pass. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm actually watching him. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but but yeah, Sister Havana, great song, just super anthemic. And, and I love, I think probably it brings me back to a place where I felt, yeah, man, rock and roll is going to, you know, the things that I love in rock and roll still matter. And it was so cool that that record came out at the time. A year later, the other record that did that for me was Gilby Clark's Pawn Shop. Guitars. Yes. Do you want to jail? Yeah. I said, oh, okay, there's, there's this, you know, thing that connects to the music that I love that's still happening and resonating with people. And I got to be on Gilby's new album too. So I'm very happy. Oh, no way. That's great. Well, I, I toured with Gilby. I, uh, he produced two records for uh, my band, Crash Kelly. And then he asked me to go out on tour, and I toured South America with him as a bass player. Wow. Toured South America and some dates in the U.S. Yeah, I was in his band for a while. And then uh, he flew Dave Langeth and I, Dave, who plays with Kim Mitchell. Yeah, great drummer. He flew it. Yeah. And he played with me and Nelly Furtado's band, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, he flew us out to L.A., and we actually did some tracks. And uh, yeah, some of that made it onto his new record that just came out two <laughs> weeks ago. So That's that was cool. kind of nice. Wow. Yeah, that, that was a great record. I still listen to that, too. You want to jail? I love that tune. It came out, I think it was 94, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Out of place for the time, but so welcomed. Yeah. It was just like, oh, yeah, that's... And and for me, it crystallized what I loved about 70s rock and 80s rock together, because I really... Somewhere in between those two, the the two things that people associate with seventies classic rock and eighties hard rock is where I I live comfortably mm-hmm. musically. And Gilby's just that guy. He's right there. He leans more to the seventies. But you know, you talk to him. When I, I kind of put him in a category with bands like L.A. Guns or a guy like Tracy Guns mm-hmm. and Faster Pussycat. They're just rock and roll bands. Like he doesn't, you know, when, he, when he's talking about, it, he's not like, oh yeah, geez, that hair metal stuff. It's like you know, rock and roll. That's yeah. a rock and roll band. The Stones are a rock and roll band. Guns N' Roses was rock and roll. You know, Cheap Tricks rock and roll. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What's that record called? What's Gilby's record called? The new one? Yeah. Uh, it's called The Gospel Truth. The Gospel Truth. It's a great record, man. Like Nikki Six is on there, Kenny Aronoff, Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction, bunch of bunch of cats. It's a and, and but aside from all that, Gilby's uh, written some of the best best tunes I've ever heard him write. Oh wow. Oh, it's good, man. Very strong record. All right. I'm on it. Cool. Mott the Hoople is next, Mr. Kelly. Yeah, man. All the young dudes. Great pick. Well, you know, it's like, can you, can you, can you think of a better anthem that kind of sums up the whole glam rock thing? Like, I mean, it's perfect. It's kind of, it's kind of blokish, kind of laddish, you mm-hmm. know, it's all the guys, but all the guys are dressed like all the girls. And it's like, you know, this beautiful beautiful summation of what it feels like to belong in a rock and roll community and, and you'll probably notice there's a theme here with what i'm picking i you know i think all of us who really deeply connect with with music and and and, and kind of go a little deeper than just being a passive listener mm-hmm. we're looking for some kind of connection and some kind of community and that's what this song's about it's just about a bunch of characters right yeah billy rapping all night about suicide and you know lucy's looking sweet dresses like a queen but he can kick like a mule like it's just i like the idea of mixing up this kind of playing around the gender roles but still being tough enough to kind of stick it out and through it all you you've found these people my favorite line in the song is uh 
my brother's back at home with his beetles and his stones. Like, man, that's so old. It's probably like a difference of what, three years, right? Oh, yeah. But when you're in your 20s, man, it's so old. Well, I never got <laughs> off in that revolution stuff. What a drag. Too many snags, man. It's bullshit, man. I know what's up. I'm, I'm wearing my sister's clothes yeah. and Bowie's playing at the Odeon, the Hammersmith Odeon. And tonight we're cool and we've got it figured out. And I think what I most love about this is it sounds, it's that feeling you have when you're young, when you think you know everything and you've got it figured out. What a wonderful, comforting feeling. Cause I don't know about you, but the older I get, the less I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And, and, but there was a time, man, and I, I knew a lot. <laughs> yeah, but but you, that, that was our time, right? And you didn't, you didn't have any self-doubt at that time. No, you just you ran the world. You're the king of the nighttime world. I I I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's it's glorious, man. Glorious, and it's glorious to tap into every once in a while and remember what that feels like. You Mm -hmm. know, you know, uh, just as it's it's so important to realize that that's not (laughs) the entirety of the truth, right? As you go along, but yeah, and it's a cool story. It's a cool story about this song too. How Bowie wrote that song for Mott about Mott because he read they were breaking up, and he's going. Look, man, here's this band. They're so cool, but they just don't have any tunes. They just need a tune. I write tunes. And and even Bowie himself was saying, like, you know, how arrogant was I, you know? But, you know, he was he was he was that age too, right? Yeah. And he also happened to be a genius. That helps. Oh God. I didn't Such have the genius, genius element, you see, but uh but Bowie had that. And he gives him this classic anthem. And you know what? You can hear Bowie deliver it and it's great. But when Ian Hunter's delivering it, because that guy lived he lived it right like he he had the experience of going through the hard knocks of being a little bit older and and trying to make this glam rock thing happen right yeah bowie such a, a savior right he came in he gave them the song their career was extended i think they they had almost been you know broken up at that time but you know i think about lou reed and satellite of love right yeah you hear Bowie singing on that kind of very subtly at first. And at the end, his voice just comes up and it's just like, God damn, this guy is a genius. Yeah, man, Iggy, look what he did for Iggy Pop. Yeah. Like, you know, he, he, but you know how brilliant to be able to see that in people and to give them and gift them with that access to the best parts of themselves, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. And man, you know, the guitar line in that, all the young dudes, it's so beautiful. And it's so like, to me, that's like the perfect, that, that's what an electric guitar should be used for, you know, yeah. like these perfect, perfect little themes, you know. Timeless. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, Thin Lizzy, Cowboy Song is next. That's, I always tell my wife, you know, I, I really want this to happen anytime soon, but I want that song played at my funeral. She goes, oh, okay. She goes, that's morbid. Why? And we listen to it when I just go, it's about a cowboy. Like, like it's literally, what's he do? Busting Bronx at a road. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> like, why does it? And, and, you, and when you look at the lyrics on paper, it's such a plain story, right? Just a cowboy, lonesome on the trail, think about a female, like, you know, he, he, he's kind of just telling this story about a wandering cowboy, right? Yeah. But I can't remove that from its context which I love it best, which is on the Live and Dangerous record. That's the the best version of that song. What I really love about it, and I love, this is Phil Lennon's great gift to humanity, how he could look at something that was very simple and make it so romantic. And what I see, or what I feel when I hear that, is Phil's own yearnings for America. 
you know, growing up a black kid in Ireland, right? Like, I mean, it was not, would not have been an easy situation, I don't think, from, from all I've heard. But this idea of the adventure and the romance that, uh, I guess, I guess the English, the Irish, many Europeans had with America, right? Wanting to go there to this land of opportunity. Oh, yeah. And, and the, the wild imagery you heard of these people who went over who left their familiar ground and went over and built these new lives, right? How exciting. So when I hear that, I hear the the romance of the adventurer, you know? There's an innocence there that really speaks to me. And there's the dynamics in the song are glorious. The way the harmony guitar lines go. This thing just kind of builds with a dun 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 and explodes. You get the payoff right at the right as soon as the band kicks in. They're not holding back. It's no it's not going any bigger than that. You're in it. You're riding the you're riding the Bronco. <laughs> you know, you're riding it. And it's and you're right there. And man, guitar solos, perfect. Every note's perfect. Melody, little bit of flash in that great 70s way. Very pure organic guitar tones. Phil singing just behind the beat. Everything about that band is class. I call it class rock. It's not even classic rock. It's just class. They don't have to. <laughs> They don't have to throw their guitars around their neck. They don't have to have pyro. They might have a little flash pot here and there, but it's always with a wink because, man, those guys are kings of the world. It's it's like watching ZZ Top. When they sashay to the front of the stage slowly together, yeah. that's what Phil did. He was just kind of – it was all this slow, easy – tiger-like movements right like panther-like movements you know and that's what that song has to me it has all the confidence and swagger of youth and yeah absolutely adore that song yeah what a great record jailbreak incredible and and you know the record once again think about man thank god there was a time when you know you got to make like seven records before you figured out what you were yeah because because the records before you know there's definitely good moments on them some really good moments on them, but man, when they found the thing, it's this. Oh, right. I sing like this. We write these anthems. You play the guitar, those harmony guitars. It's a real thing. And Brian Downey just swinging so hard on the drums. Yeah. What an incredible record. Funny you say that about having so many opportunities. I heard somewhere that this was their last opportunity. Their record label said, okay, so your last two records did not do well so like get it together on this one they brought in a new producer i can't remember his name but was it john alcock who produced that yes, the guy did it. the who records yeah 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 that's it so super rigid super tight and apparently gorham and robertson did not like how that you know the, the rigidity of it they didn't like their guitar tones and ultimately weren't happy with the record which is kind of funny well, I think that they were, it, it's funny, like, because all their records, the guitars were pretty small sounding, right? Mm-hmm. And even on that record, it's not as big as we think it is. It took Live and Dangerous to really contextualize those songs for me. Yes. Like, when I listen to it, it's like, it's definitely an improvement, but I can see why. When you hear what they were doing on Live and Dangerous, Back then, it was still kind of weird, I think, to crank the Marshalls full tilt and, and, <laughs> and get those sounds. Like an engineer going, you sure you really want that? I don't think they really want that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think people were still wearing lab coats in the studio back then. <laughs> you know? Well, the meters are saying that's too hot, and I don't know if we want that, you know? Are you sure? You, you probably don't want that. Okay. I'll put a compressor on that. <laughs> or whatever, you know? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so, but, but you know what? There's so many... So many stories, and, and even in my own experience, I know where I've been like, I hate this tone. Ah, oh, it's not what I want. It's very hard sometimes to take yourself outside the picture. Mm-hmm. 
because you're just seeing your role in it or your your preconception of it. But I, I think, you know, I'm sure at the end of the day, Scott Gorham's come around and say, yeah, you know what? Pretty good record. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, last tune, Daniel Lanois and The Maker. Yeah, man. That's a, that's a very, it's a very heavy song for me. And it's always connected with me. Once again, I think it's that, you know, the growing up Catholic thing, uh, imagery is such an important part. And I mean, I grew up like, you know, big C Catholic, right? Irish Catholic. Like we were going to church every Sunday. I was in the church choir. We were active. Yeah, I was active members of that community. And unlike a lot of people, I have a lot of positive experiences from that. As much as I can kind of sit back and I, I take a look and I recognize some of the atrocities that church committed and, and, and a lot of the grievous wrongs they're responsible for, that the church is responsible for, as an institution, I had a lot of uh, good experiences. And one of the good experiences was, you know, I had, for example, like my parents were actively involved in, in helping other people. So I saw my mother put her money where her mouth was and, and go and help the poor and, and mm-hmm. help the mentally challenged. And like... On a weekly basis, this was this was part of life, right? Also, with that came this idea that you can be forgiven, mm-hmm. and that's often abused, right? There's often so a lot of people see that and see this concept of being able to be forgiven as, well, what you can do whatever you want, and then just say sorry and that's it. It's like a cop out, right? But real redemption, it, it's a it's a pretty heavy heavy concept, and mm-hmm. this song really connected with me because because it speaks to the humanity involved in it it's 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 not about a quick fix for saving your ass so you don't go burn in a fire's hell or whatever right it's not actually about that it's about the reconciliation of your own humanity with your yearning to to be in a better place and so when i hear those lyrics there's a couple that really stand out for me i stand with arms wide open and I've run a twisted line. I'm a stranger in the eyes of a maker. I, I, you don't need to believe in, in an afterlife. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a stranger in the eyes of what you want to be. You know, like, like, and that run a twisted line. You know, how many of us in our lives have wondered where we got off course when we've yeah. gotten off course, right? Like, we, I don't care who you are. It's happened at some point. It, ha- it, it has, right? Mm-hmm. I actually, before I lived in North Bay... I lived in a little town called Temiskaming, in Quebec. I was born in North oh, Bay. Then, but my family, yeah, my, my dad worked at a mill up there, um, big pulp and paper mill. And we, we still have a family cottage in Quebec. French Catholic imagery is, is big with me. So when he talks about, there's a line, uh, I could not see for the fog in my eyes, couldn't feel for the fear of my life. From across the great divide in the distance, I saw like Jean-Baptiste walking to me with the maker. That just makes me choke up almost. Wow! You know the thought of it because that imagery of John the Baptist, like John Baptiste. You know that's that's a famous Quebec celebration holiday. It's so evocative of all those memories of childhood for me. Yeah. And you know the whole thing. You know, it, it's funny. I lost my dad earlier this year, and I, I often think about mm. this song because he was he was my dad was a pro hockey player. He was a man. He he played he played in the uh, in the Eastern League down in the states and you know my uncles played in the american league i have uncles in the nhl came from a hockey family mm-hmm. even though i inherited none of those abilities unfortunately <laughs> I, I gave it a try but no but but you know he was a guy who at a young age he left home at 16 to go play junior hockey yeah. in the 50s went down to the states you know the movie Slapshot. that's based off my dad's team the johnstown jets oh wow 
my dad played my dad played down there with his brothers like That's he might great. be an original hansen <laughs> you know and he, i even named my band crash kelly after my my uncle orf that was his nickname oh see, yeah I, man i didn't know that yeah so he he'd, he'd lived his life he, he was a man of great faith but in an unspoken way mm-hmm. he probably understood some of the things i've experienced as a touring musician too yeah. Without going into great detail. Yeah. Realities can get shifted. Priorities can get shifted. As as you get older, you kind of kind of see what's important in life, right? And, you, and your values change. And, and you, if you, if you did things that that kind of were dissonant with the way you wanted to live your life, you, you look for an answer. Right? And mm-hmm. that's what I love about this song. I feel that there's it, it kind of lets you get into this space where you can be reflective about that kind of thing and find a better way. And uh, without getting too hokey about it. Oh, that's tremendous perspective. Yeah, and the, the, some of the lines, like, my body's bent and broken. You can't work the fields of Abraham and turn your head away. You can't be in this world and turn your head away from the inevitability that you have to face these things. Yeah. Crazy, man. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And 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 not to mention, just the group, the music, actually, I think it came from a Neville Brothers session that he was producing, uh-huh. and they had this loop of that bass line. And actually, in the song... Aaron Neville sings one line. Oh, wow. And I wondered if it was from, I, I don't know this, maybe it was from uh, from that session. Like he had loops. I think he assembled it out of tape loops and then built the track on this kind of loop of a drum and, and, and bass. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, man. Wow. Jeez. What a great conversation. The, the enthusiasm and the insight <laughs> and the perspective, Sean. Thank you. This has been fantastic, man. Oh well, thanks. Hey, you know what? I really appreciate it because uh, you know you don't, you don't often get a time, a chance to to talk about things like this. And I just love your premise for the show. You know, it, it you kind of it just that basic question kind of pulls out these types of responses. I think, and uh, yeah, it's it's fun to look at this kind of stuff and see why why we feel so so deeply connected to it. You know more than just the blanket kind of answers. Anyway, I appreciate it very much. And, and I, I sure had fun. And you know what, man, it what? Could have been, on any other given day, it could have been five other songs. And I'm sure everybody <laughs> tells you that, right? Oh yeah. Well, they tell me why only five. Can I do 10 or can I do 15? Yeah. Well, you got to get the other guy in right? Exactly. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Well, we could, I mean, we could go on for three hours, you know, easily. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause it just, it's, it just goes this way, that way and, and every other way. So yeah, absolutely. But yeah, thank you, man, for your time. I really appreciate it. I know your time's tight. I, I love hearing your perspective on these tunes. I, I love your enthusiasm. And like I said, I've always admired what you do. I think it's fantastic that you've been able to bridge that gap between artist and fan. And uh, you're living your dream, man. I tip my hat to you. Well, thank you, Brent. I I, I really appreciate it, man. And, and and likewise, likewise. I mean, you know, I hope you, I hope that there's another book coming from you. Mm, there will be eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> yeah, time, right? Exactly. That's it. Got to find a little more of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, brother. I will, uh, I'll see you maybe on the road this summer. Let's hope. Yeah. Let's hope, man. Well, I'll be looking for you. Okay, man. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Take care, Brent. All Take the care. best. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Sean Kelly. Until next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.